0: Hello and welcome to Rama Buddhist Monastery. We meet again
1: on another brand new episode of the series of Dharma talks titled The Buddha's Guide to Happiness. And those of you who are regulars of this series will know exactly what you are here for today.
0: We are on a quest to seek the truth We know by now that
1: all these things that we've been getting up to throughout our lives, from the very young and formative years through adolescence, youth, middle age, and then towards the later stages of our lives, wherever on the spectrum you might be, your life in itself is evidence enough. That the things that you've been getting up to have not fulfilled your purpose. By now, we have established that, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on that. This does not mean that it's all been a complete waste of time. What I mean is if our purpose, our goal, our aim is to achieve happiness, a fulfillment that transcends everything else, a satisfaction that knows no limits or bounds, and if we can be just happy by ourselves without having to depend on a multitude of external factors. Now, if that was our purpose, all the things we've done so far have really not been to any avail. You know this because even today, just this
0: morning, Last night. Just the weekend gone. You
1: tried to be happy, didn't you? You got up to something. You did something. Rang a friend. Went to the beach. Watched a film.
0: Had a barbecue. Got some friends round. For a beer. Went out to the pub. Went to a gig. Went shopping. Retail therapy. Whatever the case might be. Or it could be something even so simple as ask for a hug. Right? Things that we do to keep ourselves happy. And as many
1: as they may be in number, they have all thus far failed to enable us, to help us
0: achieve a fulfillment
1: That is everlasting. And this is why we are on this journey. That is the quest we are on. Is there perhaps a stone that we have thus far left unturned? Just maybe, perhaps there's just maybe something out there in the yonder that we could somehow, if our good fortunes are in our favor, just maybe we could come across some mystical, magical method of achieving a happiness that will be with us forever. Now the good news is it's not mystical and it's neither is it magical. On the contrary it's very real and it's very logical. So that is the journey that I have asked you to come along with me. The steps that I have tread in my life to get this far I'm only looking forward to share them with you, and have you come on that journey with me. So it is on that journey that we take another step forwards today. We have a lot of ground to cover. You know where we left last week's talk on a really interesting point. We discussed wanting. So we introduced this concept of, could that be the real suffering? Suffering that we used to think haunted our lives all this time. We have just begun to wonder and perhaps even realize for some of you that just maybe that's not the suffering that has been torturing us all this time. Perhaps there's something else. Maybe we just missed the mark. But this time round, we want to get it straight.
0: So today, we want to continue that conversation.
1: We want to make some progress. We want to step in the right direction so that we can complete this journey. This is not a journey that I'll be taking with you forever and ever and ever. There will be a conclusion to this journey, as well as this series of talks, at some point. And that will be when I have shared with you all that I have to share with you, when you can tell me that, Bante, yes, we have finally discovered that, that we have found the answer, We have been looking for something, we never knew what we were looking for, and finally now we know what we've been looking for, and the moment we realize what we were looking for, we found it, and that's just how it works. All this time, the reason you've been missing the mark is because you just didn't know what you were looking for. The moment you realize what you're looking for, you realize that is always been there with you. That is the beauty of this. So, enough of the teasing. Let's get on with today's talk. Before we do that, as we always do, let us take a moment to pay homage to the Magnificent One, the Perfect One, the Most Noble One. He who is our teacher, he who expounded this teaching, he who discovered this without any help from anyone else, on his own, through his own efforts, through his own striving, hard work, endurance, resilience. It is to him that we make this mark of honor, as without him today we would not have had this Dhamma to talk about. You would not have had this talk. You would not have had these words of wisdom. You would not have been able
0: to find the truth that you've been looking for.
1: All your life. So, without any further ado, then let us take a moment to pay homage to the Lord Buddha, and as soon as we've done that, let's continue with today's talk. Namo Thas Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhas. Namo Thas Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhas. Namo Thas bhagavato arahato now
0: i admit that by this point there will be a portion among you perhaps a small portion who will have completely
1: understood and realized what i have Attempted to share with you up until now. Then there'll be those who are still on the fence. Mm, Sounds all right, but I'm not entirely convinced just yet. And then there'll also be a few others who may not feel that their intellect has been challenged. Whatever you Believed was true before you started to listen to these talks, you still hold that to be true. And you are yet to be convinced of an alternative truth. And that is only fair and it's only reasonable. In fact, I believe the vast majority of you would probably be in the second category. And that's perfectly fine. There's probably going to be a 10% of you in the first and another 10% in the last or the third category. But, hey, that's quite all right. We're still taking baby steps on this journey. The only thing I expect and I have always expected of you is to be open-minded, to remain considerate of these ideas that I share with you, and one more piece. What was that? You know what it is. The one I just keep banging on about.
0: Indeed. You've got to try these things out. Where? In the lab of life. You've got to walk into the
1: lab of life and carry out these experiments. The experiments will be the ideas that you pick up from these talks. Try it out. On yourself, because you are the specimen. Of course. Isn't there a risk involved, Bante, You might ask. Uh, Of course, there's always going to be risk. I mean, if there's something that, is, that has no inherent risk, that's not worth doing it at all in the first place, is there? That's no
0: adventure. But
1: we want something new. We want something exciting. We want something fresh. We want something that opens our minds and compels us and influences us and motivates us and ignites us, inspires us even to try and think about something that can take us a step forward, a leap forward, perhaps a whole lifetime forwards, and to help us achieve what we've been really looking for. So I'll admit that there'll be all three categories of listeners, and you're all welcome, and I hope that you will all remain with these talks, at least for another few. Because I think we are starting to get into the really interesting stuff now. We are really getting into the nitty-gritty of this and the really logical and analytical, empirical, all the good stuff. So hang in there and it will all start to make sense, I promise you. And I am just like you. If you are the kind of person who doesn't take things at face value, who doesn't accept things just because someone else says so, whether there be... A senior person, or or an elder, or perhaps a teacher, or even a monk for that matter, well, that's two of us. I'm just like you. I've always been like that, and my teachers have always instructed me to continue to be like that, because that is the way that this makes sense, because Buddhism, or at least Buddhist philosophy, is not a belief system, it's a science. It's the science of the mind, that is what it is, to put it quite
0: simply. Now, let's get back to what we were discussing.
1: Wanting. There'll be some among you who may still question, Bhante, is it really wanting? Because we always thought that suffering was things like death, disease, decay, losing a loved one, failing an exam, planning on going on a holiday or a trip, and the whole thing just going kaput? Planning on asking out someone, and the moment you do so, they give you a big no. Is it not things like that, Bhante, which bring us suffering? Disappointments, frustrations, annoyances. Is it not things like that, that bring us suffering? Isn't that what the Buddha talked about? Death and disease and decay and all that stuff. Isn't that what suffering's all about? Well, I have something to share with you, which I would like you to give some thought. So it's not my duty to say whether that is or is not what suffering is, but I want to give you something to think about. And I'd like for you to make up your own minds. How about that? Think about it this way, right? Now, you'll know that the Buddha talks about the Four Noble Truths. Now you knew that even before you started to listen to these talks. Perhaps you've read it in a book, listened to a sermon, right? Or read somewhere in, in an article or something. And you know, the Buddha and the Four Noble Truths, you know, these are these are not new things, it's, it's not novel. You know, the people have known about the Lord Buddha for so many years, so many thousands of years, and you know, he's one of the most renowned. Philosophers or religious leaders. So when, our, when questioned what did the Buddha preach, the four noble truths are usually one of those things that surface right at the top. Now here's the thing. Let's imagine that suffering was in fact to do with death and disease and old age, right? What is the second noble truth?
0: Most of you will know this as craving, right? So desire, attachment.
1: So in his teaching, he talks about suffering and then he talks about the cause of suffering. He then goes on to say that if you were to cease the cause of suffering, then suffering will cease. You with me? That is the third noble truth. So there's suffering, that's the first. There's the cause of suffering, which is the second. If you cease the cause of suffering, then you shall cease suffering, that's the third. And finally, there's a path to the cessation of the cause of suffering, which is the fourth. Now let's go back to the third for a moment. The third goes if you were to cease somehow, Right? If somehow you can manage to seize the cause of suffering, then suffering shall cease to exist. Right. So here's a question for you. If craving is the cause of suffering, and suffering is death, disease, old age, decay, and all that stuff, when was the last time you saw someone eradicate desire, and then as a result of that, Disease, decay, death, and old age didn't happen to them?
0: I'm waiting for an answer. You know the best example we should probably use here?
1: Oh, yes. He who proclaimed the Four Noble Truths himself. None other than the Buddha. You know, if anyone understood the Four Noble Truths, right, it's got to be him, right? Surely. I mean, if. If anyone got it, then surely he got it. Now, what he got, what he understood, what he realized, he, he taught. So, having discovered that attachment or desire or craving was the cause of suffering, then the moment he eradicates the cause of suffering, he should instantaneously, in that moment,
0: have eradicated suffering. Surely. Yes, he was born a prince
1: and then under the Bodhi tree he attained enlightenment and became the Buddha. And in that moment he realized the Four Noble Truths entirely. So at that point he should have eradicated the cause of suffering, surely. But what happened to him at 80 years of age?
0: At 35 years of age was when he attained enlightenment and then at the age of 80. And the time period between that, what happened? He
1: aged just like you and I. He fell ill, just like everybody else. And finally,
0: he died, just like everybody else. Now, if you think about this logically,
1: one of two things have to change. What are the two things? Either craving is not the cause of suffering or the suffering that he spoke of was not all these things that people think it is. Disease, decay, old age and death. Or frustrations and disappointments and failing exams and, you know, all that stuff.
0: Think about it. If you cease craving, does that stop you from failing exams?
1: If you cease craving, will that stop disappointments? Now, what I mean by disappointments is someone disappointing you.
0: I mean, that's what a disappointment is, right? You make an appointment,
1: and then they diss it, hence disappointment. So would that stop? You know, let's say you've you've entirely ceased attachment or craving, right? And then you make an appointment with someone. I don't mean just, you know, an appointment with the doctor. I mean, you know, you agree with something with someone, to meet someone, or to go with someone, Now these are some moments in life when you feel disappointed, right? When you make an appointment and then they don't keep it. That's not just an appointment in time but it could be anything like he promised to give me this and he didn't. I'm disappointed. She said she would do this together with me and she didn't. I'm disappointed. They said they would come with me and they didn't. He said he'd ask me out and he didn't. And I'm disappointed. All these things. I thought this would work for a couple of years at least, and it hasn't, and I'm disappointed. I thought I'd get the promotion. I didn't. I'm disappointed. Now, by seizing craving, somehow there's a way to, to bring craving to an end, and the Buddha promises there is, right? But let's get to that later. If you ceased craving, would that immediately, instantaneously stop the other person from dissing your appointment? You know, all of a sudden, would you just keep on getting the promotions that you wanted?
0: So, I mean, for that to happen, the entire world has to change, doesn't it? Everyone in this world has to
1: change. Because anyone who promises you something now has to keep their promise. And by virtue of that, it sounds like if... If that was the real problem, if that was real suffering, then when you cease craving, everyone else around you changes. How does that work? You're the one who sees craving. It doesn't make any sense. Something happens to you internally and externally everything changes. How does that work? That doesn't make any
0: sense, does it? It's not logical. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. However, if suffering was wanting, as we've proposed to you, and then we take the cause
1: of suffering as craving, and once craving ceases, wanting ceases, you know, you can see the logic behind that. You know, when I stop craving something, I no longer want it. Yeah, fair enough. We will discuss in more detail how that could be possible. And then, now it does not matter whether someone disses your appointment.
0: Because what has ceased is your expectation of them not dissing your appointment. Wanting is
1: yet another word for expectation. You want something. You expect something. It's the same thing, isn't it? By and large, they, you know, you can use them interchangeably. I want something to happen can be replaced by I expect something to happen. And by expect, I don't mean you know through scientific logic. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, it's like you, you a computer could tell you that two and two. You ask the computer what do you think the answer is going to be, and of course, it's going to give you the four. But the computer has no expectation
0: because a computer does not have emotions, no feelings. And more importantly, it does not crave. It is not attached to anything. But people, human beings and other sentient beings, we want things.
1: And when we want things, we expect them to be ours. That doesn't necessarily have to be just material things. It can be a certain outcome of something, of a process, of an activity, of a meeting, of an encounter. You know, you you ask someone out, a guy or a girl,
0: and what do you expect? You want them to give you a yes, don't you? How do you know? Well, if they gave you a no, how does that make you feel? That's how you know. Likewise,
1: if they were to say yes and that makes you happy, now you understand how that's possible because we've discussed the principle of relief from vexation. When the mind wants something, when the mind yearns for something and it gets it, what happens? It is relieved of vexation. So when you want something, when you expect something, when you you're vexed about that. And so when you get it somehow, you are relieved from that vexation. That is how you feel good about it. And equally, when you don't get it, you feel disappointed. That is why you feel disappointed. It's not because you didn't get it. It's because you wanted it. Because if you didn't want it, then getting it or not getting it is not going to make any difference on your state of mind. I'll give you an example. For those of you who are interested in politics, okay, you may be quite keen about who gets elected to parliament in your particular states, wherever you live. Now, let's say for instance you live in Sri Lanka. News is that the Ugandan parliament has just been newly elected and they have just appointed a new president and he's from the opposition party. How does that make you feel? Assuming you are not of
0: Ugandan. nationality,
1: or you are not interested. It matters not what your nationality is. Assuming you are not interested, you are not of Ugandan origin, you are not interested in Ugandan politics, and I tell you, hey, guess what? You know, they've elected a new president in, the U- in Uganda. And it's so and so. Do you go,
0: what? <laughs> or do you go, yes! Why? Why not? It's because you don't care. In fact, you'd even ask me, uh, and you're telling me this because...
1: Oh, you might go, okay, and you want me to do what about that? Why are you telling me this? How is that of any interest to me? You might ask me. That's the point. It is not of interest to you. Because it is not of interest to you, you have no particular outcome that you expect. So whatever the outcome matters not to you. But if you are interested in Sri Lankan politics, say you lived in Sri Lanka or you were a Sri Lankan national and you're interested in Sri Lankan politics, then you might have a keen interest in who gets elected as president or prime minister or any of the other members of parliament or so on. Perhaps you voted, and when you vote,
0: you cast your wanting. This is who I want. This
1: is who I expect to become the president. That's why then you sit on the edge of your seat watching the election results, burning the midnight oil. And when they announce, here's another election result, you get really excited, don't you? Especially
0: if they are the last results to come. and if it's a close tie think
1: about it go back in your memory and see if you can find examples of this that's when it will start to make sense why yes, that's the lab of life take another familiar more familiar example for you know if you're not interested in politics perhaps you're interested in sport
0: cricket for instance right
1: when was the last time you recall getting really excited or feeling really disappointed on hearing the outcome of a cricket match? Now, I'm asking you the question. Tell me, when was the last time you recall being really happy about it? Really? Oh, that's great news. Fantastic. Or you went, oh, not again. Really? Ah, that's a real shame. Didn't expect that, you might say. I didn't want that to happen.
0: Why? On each of those occasions,
1: I beg you to recall, and you, will, I'm sure, remember that it was because you felt something about that country. You wanted that country to win because it was your favorite sport. It was your favorite team, rather. Country or county or whatever. Province. Or perhaps it was your school. Maybe it was a workplace. Matters not who the team was. It would have been a team
0: that you would have been quite fond of. So when you are fond of it,
1: you want it to win. So therefore, you are fond of it winning. Meaning you want it to win. You expect them to win. And when you expect them to win, if they win, you are relieved of vexation. If they don't win, your expectation is a disappointment. And that is what you experience as both joy and grief. So, was it the winning that was the source of joy? Or was it the losing that was the source of disappointment? Well, you can't answer that question because if winning was the source of joy, then every Nation on this globe must be celebrating the victory of that country. But what about the, the, the opposites? What about the, the team that they played against? Did they celebrate the victory of the other, other person? The competitors? Of course not. Why would they play in which case? So surely then, it's very clear to us that winning or losing is not the source of joy or disappointment. What was it then?
0: It was the expectation. It was that wanting.
1: The mind is capable of wanting things, while the body is capable of needing things. We discussed the difference between needs and wants last week. The body never wants things
0: and the mind doesn't need things. The body has needs, the mind has wants. And both can bring you suffering. One brings you physical suffering, the other brings you
1: mental suffering. Your body has needs like food, water, shelter, Clothes, medicines. What happens if you don't give it to them? You suffer. Physically you suffer.
0: The mind has wants. What happens if you don't give it to them? Or what happens if you don't give them to it? The mind suffers. The thing
1: is though, there is nothing you can do about the body's needs. Well, except the ultimate. Finale. You know, once you're
0: dead, now you don't need to worry about the body's needs anymore.
1: But what about the mind? Of course, you could say, yes, Banthe, but the same goes, doesn't it? When the mind is dead, you don't need to worry about it. Maybe so. That's only because you don't
0: accept as yet the idea of rebirth. As yet,
1: I'll hasten to add, let me let you in on just a tiny little sideline on this. I used to think the same, used to. Lots have changed since. Oh,
0: more on that later. I can't give you all at once, can I?
1: That wouldn't be right. I'm going to tease you alone just a little bit. Because there are far more interesting and important things to understand before we get to the idea or the concept of rebirth. Because You know, there'll be those among you who either believe in rebirth or don't believe in rebirth. I mean, it's got to be one of the two, right?
0: The point is, whether you believe in it or not,
1: you still suffer mentally while you're still alive. Let's assume for the time being that my object with you, my objective with you, is not to stop your rebirth if it does happen, but instead it is to help you live happily for the remainder of your existing lives. Then the question of rebirth really, you know, is not that important for our conversation just now. Because if you start to grapple with that problem already, I think that's going to sidetrack us. We don't need to worry about that. Not just yet anyway. My intention for you, what I'd want is to be able to help you live a happy life between now and the last moment of your life. Let's worry about what happens
0: after that. After that. I mean, there's surely going to be one way you realize whether there's rebirth or not, right?
1: (laughs) That's the obvious way. So, We don't need to worry about that. But I know that you can stop suffering between now and the end of life. And that's what I want for you. So coming back to what we were discussing, wanting, being suffering, the first noble truth of suffering, makes sense, makes a lot of sense. Why? Because if you accept, and you agree, and it makes perfect sense that craving or attachment or desire, let's assume that they all mean the same thing for now.
0: if they are the cause
1: of suffering, when you cease that cause, it makes perfect sense that wanting ceases. I mean, you can see the clear connection between wanting and desire, can't you? Surely, you know, they are almost synonymous.
0: I want something, I desire something. Sounds the same, gives the same feeling, gives the same meaning. Desire or attachment?
1: I prefer to use the word attachment for reasons I shall explain to you later. So let's run with that for now. Attachment is what causes wanting in the mind and therefore it makes little sense then i hope you'll now agree to consider that when the buddha speaks of suffering because you'll you know of course you'll have heard of the stories of when he was a prince and you know he took a stroll out in the out in the kingdom his father forbade him to go out of the palace and but at some point he was able to convince his father and you know he went with his favourite charioteer and he got a glimpse of what happened outside the four walls that surrounded his palace. And the story goes that some heavenly beings manifested themselves as a, a dead body, an old person, an ill person and a mendicant. I'm sure you'll have heard of these stories. And then the prince thought to himself, whoa, people die, I've got to stop that. People fall ill, I've got to stop that. People age, I've got to stop that. And to stop that, I want to choose a different kind of life because the way I'm living right now, my charioteer Channa tells me that I'm
0: headed straight at it. Now, as true as those stories might be,
1: I like to think that the prince was far more intelligent than just spotting an old person and thinking to himself, whoa, who's that? I've never seen an old person before. I mean, he was 28 years of age at that point if my memory serves me right. And to think that he'd never seen a sick person in his life ever before. I don't know. Personally,
0: I have issue with that. But I like to think, instead, that he was a, he was a super intelligent human being. He saw these people,
1: the dead person, the elderly person, the sick person, and he thought to himself, with, of course, the charioteer's help, as he explained that, you know, these things happen to everybody, and he explained to him, well, young prince, it's going to happen to you one day, I'm afraid, sir, and there's nothing I can do. Uh Uh-uh, nothing I can do to stop that. And then he would have thought to himself, when you put it in those terms, Chandna, that makes me feel really unhappy. It hasn't even happened to me yet. I'm not even old yet and I'm already worrying about growing old. I'm not sick yet. I'm not ill and I'm already worried about that. Just looking at that ill person, that sick person, it makes me feel sick on the inside. Just looking at that dead person and the people carrying him to the funeral pyre.
0: You look at all of them. They're crying. They're weeping. So
1: surely, you know, people you leave behind, you leave them in utter despair. Something has to be done to stop that and to imagine what, those, what that man must have felt towards the last few days of his life, the last few moments of his life, Knowing that he's going to be leaving everyone around him, all his loved ones—that must have been a terrible thought. And putting myself in his shoes, yikes! I don't want to head for that. That's not the future that I want. My father's promised me all this pleasure, this luxury, and I've lived my life, my all of my youth, thinking this is what is going to be for the rest of my life. But now, beginning to think of it gosh,
0: it's not always going to be this fun. That's terrible news, Chan. I've got to do something
1: about it. If you're telling me that old age cannot be stopped, if you're telling me that sickness cannot be stopped, and if you're telling me that death cannot be stopped, why is that mendicant living a life like that, having renounced a lay life? What's he up to? What's he trying to do? Surely he knows, just like you have explained to me, just like you know fully well, that he can't stop old age, that he can't stop death, that he can't stop illness. So what's he up to? What's he trying to do?
0: What's he trying to do?
1: I want to try and do that. Because if you can't stop something, if you can't stop the inevitable, then there must be some way we can prepare ourselves for that better than I have been doing thus far. Just the thought of what's going to happen to me,
0: to my family, to my beautiful bride, to my wife, and to my soon-to-be-born son. Gosh, I can't even imagine it.
1: It's terrible. It's gonna break their hearts knowing their fathers passed away, or their my, or, or their son has passed away, the brother has passed away, a friend has passed away, and I don't want that for my loved ones. What if there was a way I can stop them from feeling like that? If we can't stop these things from happening, what if there was a way we could stop them from feeling like that? Isn't that what that mendicant is up to? That monk in robes. Perhaps that's what he's up to. I want to do that.
0: My father thinks I'm going to be a wheel turning monarch, a chakravarti king. Channa, that's not what I want. It's not what I want. Because I know one
1: day when I'm going to pass away, my father's going to cry. Or And in this stage, when my father passes away, I'm going to cry. Just like those people carrying that dead body. And I know when my wife one day falls ill, it's going to tear my heart. I don't want that for myself and I don't want that for her either because I love her. I love the people around me. I love you. I love my my father. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my, my friends. I want them to be happy and truly happy. I want them to find unconditional happiness. I don't know that it's possible, but I want to strive for it. See, (laughs) I want to tell you something, folks, and I hope you'll agree with me. Even as the Bodhisattva, as in the prince, before he even renounced his lay life, I feel that, this is my little common sense telling me, I don't know what you think, right? I feel that the young prince, even before he even considered leaving behind his lay life, his princely life, shaving his head off and donning robes and sitting under, the, under a tree and deciding to sustain his life with begging, right? Even before all of that, I feel he would have realized that suffering can't be death. Suffering can't be Old age or sickness. I feel he would have realized that. He didn't know what it was, but I feel he knew it wasn't those things. Why? Because he's intelligent, that's why. He's not a fool. He was probably the smartest person
0: alive at that time. He knows that he can't stop these things from happening. He knows that. Because the charity has just explained
1: them to him. He knows he can't stop them from happening. Well, if, they, if I can't stop that from happening, then perhaps I can do something to not feel broken-hearted when they happen. If that's something to do with the
0: mind, well then, what if I start working on the mind? What if I start working on the mind? There's
1: enough reason for him to have considered these ideas well before he went on to become the Buddha. Upon enlightenment, when he was fully awakened, he found the answer, he found what he was looking for. But he knew what he was looking for. He had an idea. He had an inclination as to what he was looking for. He knew exactly what he wasn't looking for. Let's put it that way. He knew what he wasn't looking for. He wasn't looking for a way to stop death because clearly it can't be stopped. Again, I want you to forget rebirth for a moment. Right? As I said, let's not go there. Let's just talk about this lifetime because that's that's a a leap ahead when we start talking about rebirth. Some way, some point, we'll start talking about it. But for now, just forget that for the time being. Let's even assume that the Bodhisattva did not even know about rebirth. It's okay. It's all right. This is not heresy. It's fine. Don't worry about it.
0: Because Buddhist philosophy still stands true.
1: Even if you are to assume that. Why? Because Buddhist philosophy is the science of the mind. It talks about how to be free of suffering in this existence. You don't have to think about what happens after death. What about the time between now and death? Here's another point for you to consider, food for thought, right? When was the last time you cried about dying in your previous birth? Was that yesterday? You know, all of a sudden you're watching TV, you know, just having some popcorn, and all of a sudden you start crying. Hey, what's up? I'm I'm just I I just feel really ta- really bad and really, really really sad about something. What's it? What What about? I died in my last birth.
0: You what? Has that
1: ever happened to you? Have you ever cried because you died in your last birth? No. Clearly not. You don't even remember dying in the previous birth.
0: So what's the big deal then? Right? If death equates to suffering, right, you only suffer for a very
1: small period of time. What's the big deal? I mean, it's the other people around you who suffer, who cry for sometimes days and weeks and months and years on. But you, you only cry for just a little, you know, maybe a few minutes because you live forever hopeful, you know, I can extend my expiry date and then one day, you know, you just get a heart attack and you just drop dead. That's it.
0: How long did you cry about death? How long have you been sad about death?
1: Have you ever stopped to cry because you died in your previous birth? There goes my you know. That's the that's the that, that, that that's that's the
0: proof there in there itself. It's not death that is suffering. And it's not death that the cessation of attachment stops. That might be a by-product.
1: It's not the direct result. Indirectly, it does that. Yes, all right, I, I'll give you that. But, you know, we can talk about that later. My point is, how do you live happily from now till death? Because none of you can deny that you all suffer. But if I were to sit here and then talk to you about How can you stop suffering because of death? Why would any of you want to even listen to that talk? Seriously. If it's your death I'm talking about, if I'm talking about your death and how you're going to suffer, how long are you going to suffer because of death? You know, even if you feel suffocated, all right, and you can start to feel the, the systems in your body shutting down, and that causes you pain, for how long? Days on, hours, maybe a few minutes, maybe a few seconds. That's it. I mean, you want me to talk about it for 20-odd sermons and even more about something that's only that you're only going to suffer for a couple of seconds or a minute at most? Nah.
0: I wouldn't sign up for that class. Not even with a free card. That's not what I'm
1: talking about. I'm talking about you suffering when someone else dies. That's not because of death. No, no, it's not because of death. It's not because they died you're crying. In which case, if you're telling me you're crying because someone else died, well, guess what, folks? People are dying left, right and center, and I think it's two every second. I can't hear you
0: crying right now. Where are the tears in your your eyes? People are dying. All over the world, people are dying. I I, I never saw you crying. How come you're smiling? How rude of you. How heartless of you. You
1: know, I'm just pulling your leg. The reason you're not crying is because it's not death that causes you suffering. It's wanting that causes you suffering. You cry when you lose a loved one. In other words, you cry when you lose someone you want to be with.
0: Yes or no? So is it death that causes suffering? Or is it wanting that causes suffering?
1: When you see this attachment, does death stop? Or does wanting stop? Someone who has ceased attachment never sheds
0: a tear. Not unless something goes in their eye. They never shed a
1: tear. Certainly not tears of, tears of suffering. I don't know about tears of joy, but certainly not tears of suffering. You will never see anyone who's ceased their attachment, eradicated attachment. You will never see them crying through grief or sorrow because they simply don't feel it. How heartless,
0: you might say. Good
1: God, they don't feel grief and they don't feel sorrow. How heartless of them. They don't care about anyone but themselves. No, you've got, you missed the point. You missed the point. What is your grieving? going to do for the person that just died? How is it going to
0: help them? Now let's say, right?
1: Let's forget that for a second. Someone you really care about, right? They're, they're in a broken relationship. They're just, you know, they're, 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 their spouse has just given them the boot, right? And now you're there to comfort them.
0: How is your crying going to help them? Hmm? Or someone you know has lost someone they love. How is your crying going to help them? Is it going to help
1: them? Well, one way you could help them is by crying louder than they do. And then they'll be like, Oh, whoa. I thought I was in grief. Look at this guy. Jeez. take control of yourself. What's going on? That was my... My husband, why are you crying
0: My point being, it's not dead that causes
1: suffering. It's wanting that causes suffering. It's not a failed exam that causes suffering. It's wanting to pass the exam that causes suffering. Should I not want to pass an exam? bante do you mean i shouldn't be I shouldn't be doing any exams? No, 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 no. I don't mean don't do exams. Do your exam. To pass the exam, you don't need wanting. To pass the exam, you just need to study and do your work properly and do the practice. Lots of practice and then sit the exam. Complete it on time. Make sure you've answered all the questions. Here's my question for you, right? If you've ever studied the marking scheme of an exam paper, right how many marks do they give for wanting to pass the exam
0: <laughs> tell me
1: how many marks do they give how many marks have they allocated for wanting to pass the exam that would be that math physics chemistry biology psychology whatever right how many marks have they allocated on the in the marking scheme Because the guy wants to pass the exam. Well, there's an extra 10 marks because he wants to pass the exam. No, they don't give you marks for wanting to pass the exam. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means you don't need to want to pass the exam to pass the exam. What do you need? Lots of hard work and practice.
0: Diligence. Working the time. Making sure you
1: answer all the questions correctly. Making sure you understand the problem, the problem properly. Making sure you read the question properly. Allocating enough time for, to, to provide the answers that, that they expect in the marking scheme. That is what marks are allocated for. Not wanting to pass the exam. You don't need to want. Wanting only brings you
0: suffering and nothing else.
1: Wanting does not bring you great results. It does not give you a good marriage life. It does not help you bake a delicious cake. No. Where in a recipe book does it say, you've got to add flour, you've got to add butter, you've got to add sugar, you've got to add water, you've got to add three eggs, stir it and want to make the cake. Where does it
0: say that in the recipe book? When was the last time you heard Gordon Ramsay say, you got to really want to make this to make it? It doesn't work like that. Because
1: wanting is not an ingredient or a or a step in the procedure that one has to follow to make the cake. So the only thing adding this component wanting into the picture does is it brings you suffering. Because if you really, 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 really want to bake a cake and it's, you know, this wanting meaning you have an image of that or you, you know what it's going to taste like, you, and you want it to taste like that in your mind, there's a mental picture of it, right? The only thing that it will give you is one, fear. How so? Well, until you get it right, you are fearful. Will it work out? What if it burns? What if it's too much of this? What if it's too little of that? Have I stirred it enough? Is it the right temperature? Did I get the right recipe? Is, it, is, it, is this product good enough? Have I got the right flour?
0: You're fearful as to whether you'll get
1: the right result, the result that you expect, the result that you want. And then you put it in the oven. You you do you do all the things that you need to make the cake, and then the cake comes out. When you bite through it, take a bite of it. If it tastes good, and you go mm mm, what's that? That is delicious, right? And how does delicious work. It is the beauty of taste. We've talked about this before. What is the beauty of taste? Beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder and therefore this is simply relief from vexation that you're feeling right now. You wanted it to come out a certain way. It has and therefore that wanting or the expectation or the vexation has just been relieved and therefore you feel good Are you telling me that everyone in the world will appreciate your piece of cake? Everyone will like it just the same? Everyone will find it just as delicious? You're telling me that? You want me to believe that? (laughs) Bring me a slice and I'll tell you what I think about it. And if you take that bite and you go, ah, that's burnt on the inside, oh, It's not cooked properly on the inside. Mm, Too much sugar. Mm, Too much flour. Mm, Not enough icing. What's happened there? Expectation unfulfilled. Expectation turned to disappointment. Vexation remains a vexation. Collapse of your wanting, your expectation, leads to disappointment. This is your moment to enjoy sorrow.
0: Fear and sorrow. There you go. Here's what I
1: want to leave you with today. We'll talk more about this in future talks. I promise you. I, as I said last week, more examples until you know we hit home. And until the penny drops, we'll keep on talking about this. It can take us several weeks. It's fine, folks. There's no rush here. We just need to give ourselves enough time to grasp these concepts and make sure it makes sense to us individually.
0: But I want to leave you with this.
1: It, it may be that up until now, you thought to yourself that because of the influences you've had, perhaps the books you've read or maybe the talks that you've listened to, that it is death and old age And sickness,
0: right? These are the things that bring one suffering. I hope, having listened to today's talk, you will reconsider.
1: You might ask me, Bhante, but illness, surely that brings suffering. Yes, it does. To the body, not the mind. If you are a leper, which part of your mind is injured? Answer. If you've got cancer, which part of the mind is injured?
0: Answer. If you've got a backache, a terrible one at that,
1: which part of your mind is injured? You know which part? The part that doesn't want it. (laughs) That part. That is the part that is injured. Therefore, once again, disappointment. Because you never want for you to have cancer. You never want a backache. You never want a headache. You never want illness. And that's perfectly fine. It's reasonable. But it's because you don't want them. You suffer. So are you telling me, Bhante, that you can get rid of that wanting as well? The wanting to be illness-free? Yes. One day, if you follow these talks and you practice what I share with you folks, one day, when you're ill, you will simply be able to accept it. You will still treat it nonetheless because it's a need of the body. But mentally, oh, you'll be cool as a cucumber. You'll be just fine with your headache. You'll be fine with your backache. Will you still treat it? Yes, absolutely. If you can find the medication for it, if you can find a good doctor or physician for it, you will go and have you have your back treated. Yes, you will. Just like the Buddha did. But mentally, it will not take away your peace of mind and not for one second. How about that, Vas? I'm telling you, it's possible. It's been done before. And it will be done again.
0: My question is will you be that one who does that?
1: I will. Are you going to join me? Let's do it together. We can, because there's a way. And if there's a will, there's a way. If you want to do it, there's a way to do it. And I'm willing to share it with you. Let's meet next week and we'll continue our discussion. So for the time being, I want to leave you with that. Please consider whether it is truly death, disease, decay, old age that brings one suffering, or whether it is wanting the opposites of all of those things that brings one wanting. In which case, one's to do with the body, the other's to do with the mind. If attachment is the cause of suffering, attachment is a wholly mental affair, then ceasing attachment seizes the mental wanting. That still leaves the body suffering. This is why you need the things you need. Food, medicines, clothes, shelter, and so on. I'll leave you with that for today. Before we conclude then, let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired and to be grateful to all those, our teachers and our friends, our family, everyone, literally everyone who's helped us to get here thus far. It includes even your teachers, folks, those who taught you right from your very young years, who the teacher who taught you the alphabet, because had he or she not done that, you would not be able to understand a word of what I'm sharing with you today. So right, right back to then, All the way to today, everyone and anyone who has been of assistance to you to be able to understand and comprehend the truths that you are learning today, let us take a moment to be grateful to them. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirith, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the Bhikkhus and Bhikkhunis, Upasakas and Upasikas, who, since time immemorial, have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Pitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha, present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all the other monks resident at this monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to this monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane, may through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of nibbana. Sarju Sarju There is also transfer merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to listen to these sermons and sustain the Mahasangha, this includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines as well as those of you who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes and may through the power of these merits, they abstain from their meritorious deeds for the meritorious deeds, for the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, and assisted us in any way, in any way, shape, or form. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress, and may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to to the Devas and Brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sasana. Let us also transform us to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have deceased us, to and to all those who have been our families and friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and those who have helped and supported us and assisted us in every way, shape or form they could. Let us also transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our countries and may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us all transfer merits to, the, to those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes landslides and the pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain, may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may to the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, mates, to the power of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an Arahatun Mahanse and Arahat arahant Mahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, 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 And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. Looking forward
0: to sharing more words of wisdom with you next week. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.